This is your Exalta Race Center update for the week of April 3rd. The Junior Motorsports late models were off. The Xfinity Series was off. That just left the Cup Series at Martinsville Raceway where Dale Jr. had it going on until lap 418 when Denny Hamlin will hop going into turn three, spun out Danica Patrick, and started a pileup that eventually knocked out the radiator of Dale Jr.'s Exalta Chevrolet. That turned a promising day for Dale Jr. into a 34th place finish, but the 88 team will look to rebound this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Have you heard what Exalta is doing for its customers? They are building an incredible state-of-the-art facility right on the campus at Hendrick Motorsports. It's called the Customer Experience Center. It will be used to train and educate body shop technicians with Exalta's new products, technology, and innovation. This is good news for you because paint and body work isn't just needed at the racetrack. You need it. I need it. We all need it at some point in our lives, and you want the best when it comes to your vehicle. The best is anyone that uses Exalta coatings because not only is it the best quality, but its technicians are the best trained. This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500, and thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, uh, hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am history. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Back in the day, with Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. In terms of its impact on the world, 1961 was a banner year. From the space race between the then Soviet Union and the United States to a decade that began with such hope for the future, the 1960s would play a pivotal role in developing the world we find ourselves in now. Vietnam was several years in the future, Korea was far enough behind to allow healing to begin, and it was also the year that a little track in the Smoky Mountains opened for business. We know it today as Bristol Motor Speedway, and we know it as Thunder Valley as well. The good folks at Speedway Motorsports advertise it as the last great coliseum. Whatever you call it, and however you prefer it, Bristol's one of the biggest draws on the schedule. The spring race especially sets the tone for the transition to the summer months, and it's no slouch in terms of its own great moments. So what in the world was going on in 1961? Glad you asked. On January 20th, John F. Kennedy is sworn in as president. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. On April 12th, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin becomes the first human to orbit the Earth. On purpose. After the Russian flight, U.S. plans were accelerated. Commander Alan B. Shepard was sent into suborbital flight. Unlike the Russian venture, this took place in the white-hot glare of worldwide publicity. Motor Trend Magazine announced its car of the year. Careful Pontiac's Tempest Le Mans at your Pontiac dealers now. The Dick Van Dyke Show, starring Dick Van Dyke. And the most popular TV shows that year were The Dick Van Dyke Show, He's the most tip-top. Top Cat, Hazel, 
There's a holdup in the Bronx, Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child, cruise ships do it idle wild. Car 54, where are you? In Car 54, where are you? That brings us to our topic for today. Bristol Motor Speedway's spring events are just as legendary as the more ballyhooed night race in August. And since it's next up on the schedule, we thought it would be a great topic for back in the day. It will be career win number 50. It will be his first victory on the high banks of Bristol Motor Speedway as Jimmy Johnson claims the Food City 500. Let's bring in Steve Richards, longtime broadcaster and pit reporter for the Performance Racing Network, as well as producer of Back in the Day. Hey, Ron. How are you? Good, good. With all the time you spent at the bottom of that giant aluminum colander. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) And it's really true. Um, You know, you roam pit road. What what are your best recollections of Bristol in the spring? Well, the spring race has been very interesting on the cup side and the Xfinity side. On the Xfinity side, which was the nationwide side, and we'll, we'll talk about this, when Greg Biffle was on pit road and Kevin Harvick was not very happy with him Gee, and there's a shocker and came over the car yes. to confront him. I was on the air live. Oh, goody. And we'll, we'll hear that tape <laughs> in just a little bit. That's one of my most memorable from the Xfinity side on the spring race, a lot in the fall race, obviously, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about the fall in the fall, the fall race. That's the one everybody talks about, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's because it's at night. It's the place is lit up. There's no better place you'd rather be. Bristol at night's mystical, it's magical, but in the cold light of day in the spring, it's pretty damn impressive. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And there's been a number of other memorable Bristol spring finishes, races, and we're, we're going to talk about them today. And I, I don't want to give it all away. I just no. wanted to mention that one race, but most of these, well, been to all of them, actually, <laughs> witnessed all of them. Either it was in the middle of it or had seen it, and just don't want to give it all away. No, you know, we, we need to save it for the end when we get the sponsor plug. I mean, oh, did I say that on the air? Sponsor Sorry. plug? Sponsor plug. We're here in the Exalta Racing Studios. Yes. You know, and the, no, just kidding. <laughs> but but no, we do want to remember Exalta. Um, you know, much much has been made about the change from one groove asphalt to two and a half groove concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's been redu- I don't think it's reduced the allure of the racing there one bit. No, for a couple of years there, the fans weren't too happy with the way the racing was. But I think what the uh, the folks there at Bristol have done in the past couple of years uh, has has amped up the racing, kind of semi, not a reconfigure, but grinding the track and putting in sealer and putting in goop or whatever they want to call yeah. it. Gunk. It's uh, it's it's almost back to the old Bristol. We've we've seen the the rough housing, we've seen passing, we've seen some great racing, and the crowds are getting better and better all the time. So if you've ever wanted to go to Bristol, by all means go now because there may be a time again where it'll be a sellout and it'll be a hard ticket to get. And you'll be have a six year waiting list for uh, for tickets, and uh, you know people will leave their tickets. For, to Bristol to you in their wills. <laughs> yeah, I might not ever get to that again, but no, you maybe never not. you never know. No. My crystal ball is on the fritz right well, now. Well, the so. weather, you know, it's knocked it out. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, whether it's concrete or whether it's asphalt or whether it's one groove or two and a half, it's still jet planes in a gymnasium. Yeah, I mean, as Sterling Marlin used to say. Exactly. We, actually, Sterling's not that original. Uh, I was saying that back in the ASA days, back when we ran Anderson. Who's, who coined that phrase? I'm not exactly sure. I thought it was Sterling because I have it on tape. 
But maybe he got it from somewhere else. I am sure that that happened. Um, you know, look, Anderson Speedway was a quarter mile, and they started 33 stock cars on it. Mm. So, you know, you can That was the original jet to gymnasium. That's right. Well, they were maybe sopped with camels or <laughs> you know, whatever, Spitfires or, you know, whatever it was. But, you know, it's it's a little different now, but I like it. I mean, you can actually race side by side with people. Oh, yeah. And their strategy, and you you can still piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> no shortage of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think. So let's talk about some of these races. Back in 1997, I remember it well. Jeff Gordon bumped Rusty Wallace for the first of two victories at Bristol Motor Speedway. Rusty led 240 laps that day, but Jeff Gordon stalked Wallace the entire race, and he waited to the last lap, but he used the bump and run on the final lap. Wallace drifted up the track slightly due to lap traffic, Gordon took advantage, bumped Rusty out of the way, got the victory. You know, it was pretty tight down there. I mean, that's what Bristol's all about. You get down to the closing lap at Bristol, and, and it's any man for himself. I've seen it done many times. <laughs> Just a lap car down there in turn one and two with the last lap. Checker flags waving, or white flags waving, and, uh, and the 23 car was on the bottom of the track there, and we all had to go around the outside of him. When that happened, it, allowed, it let him get up on my rear end, and... Uh, to get close to me, then I got down to turn three and got one of those old love taps, and I got up the racetrack a little bit and uh, got second. That's about it. You know, he did that so smoothly. You, you, Rusty almost didn't know he'd been hit until he saw the 24 go by. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, look, you, you can do it one of two ways. You can do it the way he did it, which is perfectly legal according to the rules of the game, or you can do it the way Dale Sr. did it when he rattled Terry Labonte's cage <laughs> one August night and um, a few years later. Right, right. But, you know, I remember that just causing the biggest hoorah about you know oh it's dirty racing uh you know come on boys it's it's bristol you know you you can't really and rusty had a right to be mad of course if rusty had done it it would have been perfectly fine Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and and that's that's the beauty of bristol it is very it's a very high-tech racing plant now Mm -hmm. but man it's as primitive as you all get out when you talk about how they race because they it's root hog or die whoever's in the right spot that's that's who wins the race you know, and I, th- I remember that was that was just a really good, solid Bristol race. Another memorable spring race was Elliot Sadler, his first Cup victory. That was a very memorable day. Oh, I you know I can remember that too, just like it was yesterday. Do you yeah. have a clip? I have a clip. Okay. I, I was in victory lane for PRN that afternoon and talked to Elliot about the victory. Feels awesome uh, to do it here in front of 130,000 people in my favorite racetrack in the world. I remember the Bush race we won here, and I always wanted to come back here in the Cup car and run good and. Very emotional last 10 laps. I don't know what to celebrate or cry or concentrate or what. It's just really proud that Motocraft really stuck in that for us. And uh, it's good to get the first win for them. And Jack Roush and everybody involved in this whole organization, they worked hard, and, they, and this, this win was due. Were you nervous? Yeah, the first, last 20 laps seemed like the last 100 laps. And just very emotional win. I never thought we'd get to see Victor Lane this early. You know, this is our backup car. And, we trashed our primary car in practice, and just uh, I've told everybody all year that all winter this is a better race team than what it was last year. And Bristol's my favorite racetrack, so I can't think of anywhere better than that than right here. I was more nervous and crying and didn't know what to think, what I was going to say more than uh, than hit my, uh, my my lines, what I needed to do. But uh, a lot of hard work went into this. Just thank the Wood Brothers and Motocraft, everybody giving me a chance. All I can think of is you doing your Elliot Sadler impression. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Steve. You know, we, we, we really run the like a spotted dog today. And uh, and uh, i got to thank the boys a back spotted, at Junior Motorsport. A spotted dog? Well, it, the actual, it's, it's, it's called really, a dog. It's, well, I, I mixed my metaphor because it's a spotted <laughs> something ape. 
and then I scald a dog. Okay, so I mixed him. Those out there who know are tuning in to me, and they understand. Anyway, it was a great day. It was, it was great to see Elliot Sadler win the race and the Wood Brothers as well. Well, just the level of excitement. I mean, Elliot's an excitable guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you get your first cup victory at Bristol, and for the Wood Brothers, mm-hmm. you know, the Wood Brothers – as we've said many, many times on this show and our on our show last year, historically speaking, mm-hmm. the Wood Brothers are NASCAR royalty. You mm-hmm. know, as much as the Francis are and the Petties are, the Wood Brothers are right up there. You know, yeah, absolutely. And and to do that, and, and he's a young kid then out of out of Virginia, right. which was was huge. You know, driving it, it would be like, um, you know, a North Carolina guy playing basketball for Dean Smith. Right. Exactly. And, and that's and speaking of that, Elliot's also a big. He actually big had ca- a chance to play college basketball. That's right. He's a big Carolina basketball fan, so yes, I'm sure he he's happy about the NCAA championship, I'm sure. He is. Uh, apparently, I, you know, he can throw an epic party, mm-hmm. and I, I imagine he did mm-hmm. <laughs> on Monday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and just to have it done and, and to have, you know, you can hear the emotion. There's not as much emotion, I don't think, now as there was then. Maybe that's just me getting older. I don't know. Probably. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, you, could, you could feel it in what he was saying. You know, if you now you had to work hard to understand it a little bit because he got a little fast there. Uh-huh. But uh, he's always been fast, so that makes sense. A year later, 2002, one year later in the Bristol Spring Race, I mentioned the Harvick Biffle incident. Yes. Yeah, that's when that occurred. Greg Biffle, you had a great car all day. You were calculating. You came up a top five. Oh, here comes Kevin Harvick. <laughs> Kevin Harvick just jumped right over the top of the car. I'm right in the middle of everything, and they have a fight. We have a fight. Oh. And Kevin Harvick came across the pit lane like an Olympic sprinter, Steve, and literally jumped over the top of Biffle's car. He was on the roof and then pounced on Greg Biffle. I think you were actually getting ready to talk to him. They've just pulled Kevin Harvick off of Greg Biffle, and I was right in the middle of it, guys, I'll tell you. Did you come out of there unscathed, Steve? Yeah, I'm fine. All right. Well, I mean, basically, we took a, a brand new race car and uh, foolishly ruined it. We owe that one to Greg Biffle, and I guess we'll just uh, put it away in the memory bank, and he'll have to take one home junk somewhere. It was not intentional by any means, and I know there'll be some fans pissed at me for doing it, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't on purpose. Biffle's an idiot. That's pretty much plain and simple. That's all you need to say. Kevin's upset. He has the right to be, and uh, we've all been in that situation, and I feel bad for doing it, for getting him turned around. I didn't do it on purpose, certainly. <laughs> Well, I'm surprised that, uh, you know, uh, did you feel the need to be Howard Cosell at that point? Somebody, I tell you, somebody in the scrum pulled a wire and pulled me off the air. That's oh. that's why it stopped. That freedom of the press has just gone right to the dog. I was not happy. No. I was not happy. But I, you know, look, I, I really, that was a really good call. If, if, you, if you look at the video, to the left of, you can see me looking down, trying to put this wire back in place mm-hmm. so I could continue and finally found it and shoved it back into the into the hole there <laughs> so to speak you know you were you were right in there I mean that was you were calm now you were you're elevated I was a e- I was excitable yes. I was very excited but hey you know how often do you have look we're still talking about however many years later right that's true but you know and and Harvick is we've mentioned this before but Harvick has that kind of face that you just look at him and you, you, you all right, fine, fight or flight. Uh-huh. He's either coming over here to do something wrong or he's going to clap me on the back and say hi. Well, he was a wrestler in high school, you know. That's true. And, um, you know, he's he's graduated to boxing and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, uh, you know. Represents all those MMA people exactly. now, you know. Apple does not fall far from the tree. <laughs> yeah, Misha Tate, you know, I mean. He's a different cat. 
Mm-hmm. Dale Jr., If you, you'll know when he's pissed. Yeah. Okay. Pitch of his voice rises. He gets a little agitated. Harvick, you never know. I mean, it could be it could be one second smiling. The next minute, you're eating a knuckle sandwich. Yeah. You know? and, and that's what's frightening about him. And he just doesn't. He's on stun. Kyle Busch is more like Dale. And, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying that he's you can tell he's going to come over and do something. You know what's interesting about the races we're talking about, the memorable Bristol races in the spring? Mm-hmm. It's almost every year. Mm-hmm. Every year, every other year. We go to 2004 where um, Kurt Busch won his third straight mm-hmm. at Bristol, but Dale Jr. spun out on purpose. Do you remember that? Yeah, to get, he was to just, get a caution. Yeah, he was just so frustrated that he just... He spun the eight out right down in between uh, turns one and two, I believe. Well, I had a loose wheel, and I didn't have any choice but to spin the car out to get a caution. So I uh, went down in the corner, had some clear room behind me, and just spun it out. And caution come out, pushed clutch in, got going. Now, most people wouldn't admit that they would do that. What the hell else was I supposed to do? Go lap down? Go two laps down pitting? I do what the hell I got to do. That's what I had to do. I could have I finished top 15 or top 10 easy. Easy. It's just aggravating, you know. Yeah, you, you got to. I mean, I had one of the best cars, and they decided to start blowing the track. You know, right, right when I had all that trouble and was way in the back. You know, I mean, it's not spiteful. I'm not saying. I think it's just stupid. You know, let us. I mean, hell with the damn racetrack. At that point, there's 30 laps to go. What the hell difference does it make? It ain't been blown the whole damn time. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? It makes no difference. And ain't nobody gonna get up and go get a hot dog. It's 30 to go. <laughs> Now, see what I mean? Voice gets higher. Isn't he starts talking, you know, getting all... Uh, Isn't that great? And it, he's honest. He is honest uh-huh. to a fault. There's, there's, he's not going to prevaricate. He's going to tell you like it is. Uh-huh. And I don't know a racer worth his sand that has not caused a caution on purpose because he needed one. That's right. And he just happened to do it at Bristol in the spring. <laughs> Two years later, Gordon shoves Kenseth. We remember that? Uh, at the end, I, I ran into Jeff Gordon. That was... Uh... That was my fault. It was an accident. I didn't mean to do it, which everybody says, but I, I really didn't. We kind of got slowed up with the lap car and outside, and I just uh, drove in too hard and couldn't get stopped and got into him. Well, we were racing hard for position there, and he was holding everybody up. And, uh, you know, I got to him, and I, uh, you know, I, I definitely touched him a little bit, moved him up the racetrack like, you know, like you do at the end of the track race. And um, he just went down into one and just decided to wreck me instead. So that's, uh, you know, pre- pretty uh, disappointing. And, we had a great car, and uh, it's unfortunate that uh, that happened. And I like racing with Matt, but uh, I certainly didn't enjoy racing with him today. And uh, I showed my displeasure, and you know I, I get fired up too. So uh, you know I I, uh, I like Matt a lot, and I love racing with him. But uh, you know I felt like you know that was a little uncalled for, and uh, we'll we'll keep racing hard again in the future. I'm sure we'll see some more. You notice that Jeff left his helmet on. Yeah. <laughs> and Kenseth came over to say, you know, look, I I didn't mean to do that. And, and that's not what Jeff wanted to hear, but Jeff got, it, it, you know, you ever read any Lee Child books, Jack Reacher character? No. His main overbearing concept is get your retaliation in first. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what Jeff did. Well, Kenseth said afterwards that he didn't really blame Gordon for being upset. I would have been ticked off, too. And I probably should have known better than to go over there. But I just think when you do something wrong, you should try to be a man about it and go apologize, even though I knew that wasn't going to do any good. That wasn't going to bring his finish back. So I was just going over to tell him that I, that I didn't mean that. I mean, it made it made no sense for me to do it. You know, I didn't have a, a reason to be mad at him to go hit him. He moved me out of the way, but I was so slow uh, at the end of the race, he should have moved me out of the way. So, Matt, were you surprised that Jeff pushed you? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I was surprised. If I thought he was gonna, gonna, uh, you know, try to take a swing at me or something like that, I, I probably went to went over there. So yeah, I was surprised.
and it made for another memorable Bristol Spring Race. That's right. 2007, one year later, maybe a not-so-great moment. The debut of the Car of Tomorrow. You mean the Flying Brick. Yeah, the COT. Yeah. (laughs) CO something. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle Busch, of course, was the winner. In victory lane, he was asked to give that car a grade. An F. An F minus. It's terrible. I can't stand to drive the thing, but we have to. we got to make it work. That's what's here. Kyle has always been the soul of amiability and the uh, and able to paraphrase things so nobody's feelings get hurt. That's one of the reasons why I like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and he's honest. I mean, you may not like him, and a lot of people don't. I appreciate him. You know, sometimes he acts, if, if he were my child, mm-hmm. um, he spent a lot of time in his room. <laughs> without prob- a phone probably did but you know l- look at it this way you know the guy's passionate about what he does he's a hell of a wheel man mm-hmm. and and you know if he if that's how he gets through the day then fine he said as well the car does need some more work it's a hard car to set up it's a hard car to drive maybe if we learn more about it it'll become better but um i don't remember anybody really complaining about the old one that we had so we'll just have to see if we can work on our impala ss to make it better and also, after the race, NASCAR's director of competition at the time, Robin Pemberton, addressed those who criticized the COT. It's fair that somebody has an opinion like that, and I'm okay with it, because the opinion of that means that somebody that won the race wants to make that car better. And when you put that into what we do for a living, I'm up for the challenge, and his opinions means that he'll do everything he can to make that car better, and the result of that will be we'll have better racing because of it. That was also uh, Chevrolet's 600th win on the NASCAR series, and it was the 200th for Rick Hendrick, Hendrick Motorsports. A banner day. I was there at the 400th. Uh-huh. And um, you know, the, <laughs> Chevrolet's won a lot of races. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they have the most cars in the field. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Ford used to have the most. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, Toyota came in. Toyota's but, never but, had the most. But they have to be good cars. That's right. That's Just right. because you have the most doesn't mean you're going to win. Right. You know, th- there's a bunch of boxes out there that are not um, a threat to win a race. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Chevrolet, General Motors... You know, at one point, there were Buicks racing Oldsmobiles, racing Chevrolets, racing uh, Pontiacs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's just a bit of wretched excess, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's only Chevrolets now. Now, three years later, 2010, Jimmy Johnson finally got his first win at Bristol Motor Speedway. It's great to accomplish that. It's great to set those things out there in front of you to try to accomplish and work so hard for. I feel very satisfied for that effort. But, um, you know, as a race fan, you get excited for this racetrack. And I wanted to be excited for this track and just haven't been until now. We knew it was a tough track for us, but at the same time, history was showing that we were getting closer. And for a large, large part of the race, I thought we were probably the second best car of the two. And uh, there at the end, with the opportunity of pitting and being in the outside lane on four tires and uh, the two tire cars in front of us kind of jumbled things up. Um, we, we got through traffic better than anyone and was able to win the race. That was his 50th. I'm glad he got one at Bristol because... Uh it was it was not a very nice place to him before that. 2012 at Bristol, Brad Keselowski won, but the 88 wrecked the 24. Oh, trouble! Jeff Gordon spins up the racetrack, gets into the wall in turn three. Everybody else is able to move around that machine, but Jeff Gordon sustains heavy damage and brings out our fourth Service Master Clean Caution of the day. I absolutely feel responsible. Uh, I got into this door a little bit, but. Um, you know, we were racing and having a good time at it, really, to be honest with you. And uh, I put the pipes up against the left rear tire on his car and, and uh, knocked the sidewall out of it. And um, I hate, uh, you know, feel bad about that. And it's come, I'm going to have to 
do some damage control this week. So uh, I know Jeff understands what was going on out there, but uh, you know his boys worked real hard on their car and uh, had a good run going. They had a uh, potential win and a good finish going too, and uh, they, they deserve it. That sounded like a James Bond move to me. <laughs> the pipes. They had the her pipes, pipes up boy. against the, uh, the sidewall. I'll give it to Junior. You know, I listen to him talk about uh, this, the stuff he does. Uh, and he knows where his car is at all times, and he knows what hits what, and mm-hmm. and he knows if he needs to put the bumper to you, he knows exactly what part of the bumper to put to you. Mm-hmm. So it's really he he understood what had happened, and he knew that Jeff was likely not going to be happy, so he knew he had to fix it. So yeah, yeah, I think that's that's really cool, and that's typical Bristol. Now it only took one more year to have another spring memorable moment at Bristol. Casey Kane won for the first time at Bristol Motor Speedway. That was memorable enough, but also Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin were not happy with each other. And I was interviewing Clint Boyer at the time. He finished in the top five. Hey, everybody, it's Bristol. They're fighting. <laughs> about that? <laughs> well, it wasn't really a fight. Uh he, he thought so, but Joey went just to talk to Denny. I just wanted to talk. I mean, I don't want to fight people. I just want to talk. And uh, people just get a little overworked up over there on the 11 team. So, whatever. That's all right. They're just trying to protect their driver. I understand that. I guess Denny's crew thought Joey was coming to fight. Well, at that point, Joey wasn't a fighter yet. Um, he still isn't, really. But uh, I remember that. That was, that was chippiness uh, on display. And look, at Bristol, you're going to get – Harvick has been mad there. Carl Edwards has been mad. Mark Martin got mad there. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to get Mark Martin mad. <laughs> Jeff Burton's been ticked. Dale Jarrett. Who hasn't? Exactly. You you know. I've been ticked at Bristol. I mean, jeez. <laughs> Traffic. That's what it is. Traffic. They're such close quarters. You're running so fast. You know, you have to go, and, and you can't be – you cannot be sorry for the moves you make because you you have so little time to make them, and that's I think that's what happened between Logano and Hamlin because I think they screwed around and screwed each other out of victory. Basically, is what happened. Yeah. Afterwards, uh, Hamlin claims he didn't mean to wreck Joey. It's Bristol racing; everyone's fighting for the top, and so I did mean to hit him, didn't mean to wreck him. That was a mistake. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. If he didn't mean to wreck me, I think he would have said he was sorry. But he didn't say that, so it's just frustrating to me. I had a very fast Joel Penzo Ford that could have won the race. You know, we were fighting for the lead when that happened. Well, you know, hello, pot, meet kettle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> None of those guys has ever hit anybody intentionally, ever. Uh-uh. uh-uh. And Denny Hamlin's not going to apologize to you unless he really messes up your day. Yeah. Now, yeah, he cost Joey the victory, but there, but it was still in doubt at that point. When you mention that, all I can envision is Denny and Danica. <laughs> is that a Daytona? <laughs> yeah. But Danica. You were loose entering the corner, so you, does it mean like, oh my God, she's loose, I can't run next to her. Denny, you don't understand. What should I it do? It just means don't be up my, on my left corner, in. <laughs> Never well, mind. You know, they, they uh, t- I'll tell you what, Bristol and Martinsville particularly, mm-hmm. uh, more so Bristol because of the speed, you know, you're going to, you can make a move that you think is going to work. And in the microsecond that you think about making the move, it changes. Uh-huh. And you end up ended up messing up somebody's day. Well, Casey Kane didn't mess up that day, and as I mentioned, he won the race, and he is pretty excited when the checkered flag flew. Yeah, good job, guys. Awesome job, good job, Kevin. Way to go, boys. Way to go. That's a big accomplishment today. I was happy for him. Me too. And and you know, Casey's another guy 
because I work with him in in here at Junior Motorsports when mm-hmm. they when they run the the fifth car. Sure, that's weird to say fifth car, <laughs> but you know he's he's probably the most laid back guy you've ever going to meet. If he ever raises his voice, it's because somebody's running an engine behind you. Yeah, but you know to hear him do that that was that was really cool. A couple years later, Matt Kenseth won the race, but it was memorable because Eric Jones replaced uh, Denny Hamlin in that race car. After uh, Hamlin had back spasms, and our uh, Jim Noble from PRN Radio talked with Hamlin. Tell me about the the spasms, the neck and shoulder that forced you out of the race car. Yeah, it's a tough deal for sure, but I mean, I just wasn't going to be 100%. I I pulled something on lap 12, and um, I I don't know what it is. It it literally just felt like I slept on my my neck wrong, and um, it just, my range of motion is not good. And my, um, it doesn't feel good when I try to load my head. Like the banking would load it, it just it's painful, and it'd be doing my team a complete injustice for me to try to go out there and run log laps because that's all I would be doing. Uh, instead, let's get uh, Eric in there and get him some experience in the Cup Series. And after the race, Jones talked about how he got the call to sub for Denny Hamlin. I was sitting on my couch back in North Carolina and uh, thinking about you know when I was going to get my nap in during the race in the middle and. Uh, <laughs> Then, uh, then uh, I got a text from one of the crew members and um, it let me know that I might need to be on uh, standby. And uh, right then I started packing a bag. I, I called my dad and said, hey, um, you know, I think I might be getting to run a cup race tonight. And he's like, okay, cool, keep me updated. And um, took off right from there and, and flew here and helicoptered in and, and got in and drove. How cool was that? That's really cool. You can tell he's from Michigan, can't you? No. That flat accent. Flat accent? Yeah, a lot of my family's from Michigan. So Is that like Flat Stanley? No, Flat Stanley. <laughs> well, flat, I've had Flat Stanley in Michigan. Oh, okay. First, but no. Eric Jones is an interesting cat. He's like a lot of these guys that are kind of made to race cars, at least the ones that are coming up through the development programs. Right. Cool, unless he's in a position where he thinks he was wronged and then he's not. But, uh, you know, that, that has to be a, a great call to get. Hey, um, you want to drive a cup car at Bristol? <laughs> yeah. No. You know? <laughs> Jeez, well, yeah, and he said yes. I think he did. I think he did fairly well in that. After you, you know, you're going to lose laps anytime you change drivers at mm-hmm. Bristol. So you know, he he started out in a hole and uh, still finished 26th. I, Respectable. I, yeah, you know, if you can drive it up on the on the on the trailer, you're you're having a good day at Bristol. And our last memorable spring moment at Bristol Motor Speedway was just last year. Carl Edwards won the race, but Dale Earnhardt Jr. Finished second after being two laps down. His number 88 Chevrolet lost power at the start of the race, and he was just sitting there, and everyone was wondering, why didn't he go? We got the roush system on our cars for the stuck throttle issue and just warming the brakes up. I, I engaged that system to kill the throttle. I was warming the brakes up like I always do, and apparently applied too much pressure, and it killed the motor. So, uh We'll work on that and maybe raise that threshold a little bit because I wasn't really using the throttle brake that much. But So I just needed to cycle the ECU to reset that. Came to pit road and did that. I probably could have done it on the track and saved ourselves a lot of trouble, but um, you know you don't know what's going on at that particular point. And you listen to the first thing anybody anybody tells you when it comes to direction. And uh, the first thing I, my spotter said was, if I need to pit, I need to come on now. So we got on pit road, cycled it, lost a couple laps. Greg did a good job getting the wave arounds and knowing when to take them and stuff. And we got it back on the lead lap. We had about a 10th place car. We weren't really that good all day. We tried, you know, a setup that we've never really ran here before, just trying to learn a little something going forward. And uh, we'll go home and science it out a little bit. We got real lucky the last three restarts to be on the outside line. We start restarted 10th, 6th, and 4th. And that 
you know, when you restart fourth, you, you're typically going to, you know, come out in second place after that. So I was hoping we didn't have any more cautions after that. So it was good. We'll take it. You know, the thing that really amazes me about that that clip was mm. I'm starting on the outside at Bristol. <laughs> you know, because you if you started on the outside of Bristol before they made it concrete, mm. you were screwed as Hogan's goat. I yeah. mean, seriously. Yeah. You couldn't do anything on the outside. You had to wait till the freight train, or you had to create your own hole. But, you know, he understood, and, and how calm he was, too. Of course, you know, he had a little bit of time to think about it. But, you know, look, you get laps down at Bristol. You get laps down at Martinsville. You know, and just overcoming that is, is part and parcel of what you do. Yeah, and, of course, everybody knows how hard it is to pass at Bristol. And coming from the back, almost all the way to the front, uh, Junior said it was definitely hard to pass, and he had to use the old chrome horn most of the day. I hated it, man, but you had to you had to use guys up. I ran into the side of the 14, ran in the back of the 14 a bunch, him and everybody else. You know, it just you try not to put them in the wall, but you hit them enough, and hopefully they're like, I don't want any more of that, you know, <laughs> and they let you go by. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to – that's what it is. I mean, that's how you have to race there. And, yep. and everybody knows it, just like how you have to race at a, at a restrictor plate track, just like how you have to race at, uh, you know, wherever you go. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm drivers understand that they get ticked off about it, but you know what? And and he's not bashful about showing you that he knows how the ropes are at that level. And uh, we expect another memorable race this time around, and hopefully we've proven today why you need to go to Bristol Motor Speedway because yes. you never know what's going to happen. And there are so many memorable moments, not only in the fall, but also the spring race, the first race of the season at Bristol. It is the last great Coliseum, whether it's light or dark. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take your pick, go to both of them, and compare the two, I think would be the fair way to do it. This week's featured segment, as always, is called Beat the Buzzer. It's a very simple process. We've managed to entice the world's foremost historian on NASCAR racing, Buzz McKim, the historian for the NASCAR Hall of Fame, to join us each week for this segment, and as if that isn't enough, our listeners can win prizes from either Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta Racing. We like prizes. They like them, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Thanks, guys. It's great to be back. Let's set this up for you. The week before each episode, we will put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts at, at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio and post with the hashtag Back in the Day tagged with it at Exalta. Of those, Buzz will represent one lucky fan in Beat the Buzzer against the Wiley co-hosts, which means Steve and me. And if the buzzer answers all three correctly, and he's going to do that, I know. Uh, one responder, chosen randomly from that week's submitters, will win a prize from Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta Racing. Who's our winner this week? Our winner this week is Lori Badercher. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. That sounds right. B-A-D-E-R-T-S-C-H-E-R. Sounds good. Phonetically, I'm challenged, so... We're going to hope that works. All right. Tune in, turn on, let the festivities begin. And take it away, Steve, with question number one. All right, Buzz, here we go. Question number one. Who won the first spring race at Bristol? It was back in 1962. Who won it? Oh, very interesting. Uh, Spring race in 62 was Bobby Johns. Oh, man. He's right. You know, Bobby Johns is a very unappreciated talent in NASCAR, I think. Uh, Sammy Johns, relative of his. um, You know, it's it's been a long time racing family they have. Does that have anything to do with Chevy Van? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. He went to Indy a few times. He drove Smokey Eunice crazy 
sidecar in 1964. And then he came back as Jim Clark's teammate in 1965 and did very well. Hey, multi-talented race car driver. But uh, one thing that uh, is kind of Bobby's claim to fame is, is because of him, we have rear straps on the windows of NASCAR race cars. Wow. Huh. All right, Buzz, one for one. Now we're coming back with number two. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has won once at Bristol Motor Speedway. In what year did he win? 2004. And um, I'll tell you what, he, he had a bear that uh, he started 30th. And uh, he is second only to Elliot Sadler, who started 38th in 2001 for uh, a winner starting that far back in the field. Cool. All right. All right, Steve, bring us home. Let's see. You're our only hope, dude. <laughs> All right. Question number three. In 1969, track owners changed the banking at Bristol Motor Speedway to 36 degrees. What was the degree of banking for the racetrack when it was built? Yeah, they opened in 61, and the banking then was a mere 22 degrees, which is still pretty good for a half-mile track. But then when they bumped up to 36, holy cow, there goes the fireworks. Jet planes and a gymnasium. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, doggone it, Buzz. We just couldn't keep any momentum. We, you beat us again. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, guess. I knew all this stuff would come in handy someday, though. That's right. right. You are full of useless knowledge, and it, a, it is oh, coming handy. It's not useless now. Well, I, I tell you guys, as usual, it's been a joy, and I look forward to getting with you again soon. Well, look forward to that, too. We're going to come up with questions, and we're going to have it out again next week. Well, we're, uh, yeah, we're going to do it. No problem. That was a fun show. I liked it. And we'll do it again this fall. We just keep going around in circles. We're going to come circle around. We're going to do the fabulous night races. Yep. We could do that show now. We probably could. We yeah. could do a two-parter. Two, two weeks. Two-week show. We might have to. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> that is it for this episode of Back in the Day. Thanks to Buzz McKim, as always, for playing along with us and kicking our butt. Keep an eye on at, at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio for the opportunity to play along. And remember... History is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. The 2017 race season is underway, and Dirty Mo Radio's race recap shows have you covered. Don't miss a single episode of Junior Motorsports Upfront with Justin Allgaier as he gives exclusive insight immediately after climbing out of the car. You can find Upfront on DaleJr.com and all major podcast outlets thanks to Exalta.